0: So for those of you here, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands if this is true of you. If you're online, you can just write in the chat, the chat yes, that's me. I'm curious for any of you, do you have any uh, technology that allows you to keep track of steps or calories each day that you pay attention to? Raise your hand if you do that. Yes, many of us do. Any of you competitive in that, in that if you set a goal and then don't hit it, it frustrates you? That would be me. So so I have the 10,000-step thing that I try to do every day, and I, and I work out. I get frustrated sometimes when I work out because if I ride my bike, for example, around Spring Lake, which is 12 miles, it only gives me about 1,500 steps, which it is much more than that, so it makes me mad because then I still got to do 8,500 steps even though I just rode my bike around Lake for an hour. Like, that's just not right. And I have the same thing, the, the gym I go to, if I use one elliptical, it doesn't count my steps properly. If I use the other one, which I don't like as much, it counts them exactly right. Now, which one do you think I use? I use the one that counts because I don't want to miss out on credit. It makes me angry. And then I've now even gotten to a place where after I'm done working out, I walk on a treadmill only because I want. I have a prayer list I keep and if I, don't, if I do it out on the bike path where I live, I typically run into people or other things. So I've learned to do that there. In fact, I've used the treadmill as an added place to both pray and exercise, double duty, way to go, right? Yeah, that's what I'm trying. I'm curious if you would know this, just kind of think about it for a minute. Do you know the the derivation, the origins of the treadmill? It's fascinating in that it was created actually in the prison system in Europe. And it was made with a very negative intention, which was they basically took these prisoners and put them on these treadmills for the day so they would walk all day, And kind of along the way, be reminded of their suffering and it not achieving anything at all. Now, sometimes they attached it to a device or something that created some benefit. But at the end of the day, the treadmill was there to ultimately show them they were doing nothing and getting nowhere but working very hard. Now, isn't that crazy today? Because don't we do that in our lives in many ways? Aren't we constantly on the treadmill trying to achieve, trying to get ahead, trying always to move a little bit further, and yet even when we get there, it's not enough. The the people I know that are the most driven and the most achievement-oriented, have you ever noticed how dissatisfied they are when they achieve or when we achieve? We get done, it's like, oh, no, I'm just as good as the last show. I need to move on to this. Even when there's a good review, a good evaluation, a good benchmark reached, it's kind of an insatiable trouble we have, that it's never enough. We never can get where we want to go. I I tell you that we're in the second week of a series that we've titled Resurrecting Now. It's Paul, who's this early church leader, who's really informing and helping to form how the church sees the very resurrection of Jesus. And where we began last week, it's in chapter 8 of a letter called Romans, as a letter to the church in Rome. Paul is writing to a group of people that are both previously involved in the Jewish life, and then many of them also just involved in Roman culture, so very different postures. And one of the things he set up, I'm just going to renew, kind of remind us as we go into today, is he he sets up the fact that every one of us are broken in a mess. He actually tells us that we're ultimately condemned by our own lives. In other words, the treadmill of what we're trying to do never gets us where we want to go. And then he turns at the beginning of this chapter where we started, and he said, There's no condemnation in Jesus. And last week, what we did was we looked at it in kind of like a house, how we can have homes that are condemned. In fact, I shared a wonderful story about the home I lived in in college that was first torn down like no other because it was condemned. Uh, and the reality of Jesus is it basically builds a new foundation in us. We're not condemned in him. And we said these three civil statements, nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. In other words, in Christ, we have a freedom that's the foundation of our lives. It's not built on who we are, what we do, but built on who he is and what he's done. In fact, what he's done is he's condemned the very sin nature through his death and resurrection, which gives us life and freedom from condemnation. That's the foundation now, this week, what we want to do is begin to build a frame around it. That's what Paul's doing, and ultimately, as we continue on in the weeks heads, it's building the rest of the house, the new way we are to live in him, and the vision of what that will look like as the church continues to be his. So we're continuing on. We're building the framework around this foundation that we're not condemned in him. We have new life in him. And I want to say it again because many of the responses I got last week were from people that had actually been in the church for decades, but we've lived with kind of a sense that God's always bummed out and displeased with us. Kind of like he's one thing going, yeah, I forgive you, but man, it is not good. And don't really understand what it means to live with nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. Well, Paul is now going to build on that and try to clarify what's the framework around this foundation of who he is and what he's done. So we begin in verse 5, and he contrasts this. Those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Now, if you're new to church, you haven't heard these words like the flesh and the spirit, I wanna clarify those for you because we don't typically walk around and go, hey, how you doing in the flesh today? How you doing in the spirit today? It's not how we talk. Paul is very particular about this. In fact, earlier he spoke, and as we looked at it last week, the flesh we call our sin nature. Now, we have a tendency in the church to think flesh is physical and spirit is spiritual, so we tend to think physical things are below spiritual things, which is not at all what Paul means and not at all what Scripture teaches. In fact, when God makes the heavens and the earth and everything on the earth and everything in the earth, guess what he calls it? Good. Not good versus great. Good meaning it's awesome, it's wonderful. In other words, God made the physical wonderfully as well. And we have this idea that, okay, to do something in the flesh means it's the things that are fun and I enjoy and the things of the spirit are not good, but God will be happy with us if we do enough of them. It's kind of like this... Oh, crud, life is supposed to be boring, bad, and uninteresting or not free if we do the right things. That is not at all what Paul means here. In fact, he's contrasting the flesh and the spirit because the flesh ultimately is about the corruptness, the brokenness, the fallenness, what we call sin nature, the propensities all of us have within us to be destructive, selfish, decaying, and causing pain both to ourselves and others it ultimately leads us that on the treadmill of life there's no way we'll ever do enough. And he says the spiritual is something different. It's what God has done and who he is. And what we wanna do is uncover this. What does that mean? What's the framework with which you and I are people of the spirit, not people of the flesh? What's the framework which is the work of the very Holy Spirit to make us people of the spirit and not people of the flesh? Now, you read these words that we think differently, but it's not that just my mind's on things differently. It's a different way of viewing life in general. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar who has spent extensive time on the early church and really the views from a Jewish culture and the views of how the early church would see this, has a great quote about this this, this very text. He says, we are not surprised, not to be surprised, if living as Christians brings us to the place where we find we are at the end of our own resources and that we are called to rely on the God who raises the dead. Oh, I love that statement. Because first of all, he's commenting on if you want to understand what it means to not be people of flesh, it means we come to the end of ourselves and our self-reliance. And he's not just saying you just have to kind of rely on God. He's saying, oh, you want to know who God is? He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead you realize that's what he's saying is who's present in us. Like that's awesome rocket fuel power that you and I don't have. As a man of a 5'7 stature that used to be 5'8, but I'm getting older and my spine is shrinking, you know how great it is to know the power of God's resurrection lives in a small little man like me? Mini Pete. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I'm sorry, maybe it's not so amazing. It's just kind of okay. I always love the, uh, the posture of, I'm thinking about that right now. That is very interesting. I'm excited about that right now. Can you tell I'm excited about that right now? Now, if we were watching a team that was playing, I would jump up and down and scream, But this is church, be dignified. If the Lord is pleased, that's a good thing. Let's think about that a little bit more. I'm not interested in your thinking about it. I'm interested in you knowing it and actually living in it. Because what I'm telling you is amazing. And what, the way N.T. Wright couches this passage is so beautiful to me. In essence, what he's saying is stop relying on yourselves. That's what Paul's calling us to. And be dependent on the Lord in every sense of the word, relying on him. Now, can we agree that we live in a climate that is very self-promoting, self-disciplining, self-examining, what can I do and how can I get ahead? I will work smarter, I will work harder, I will work longer, I will work better. And by the way, when I get ahead, guess who it's because of? Me. I'm awesome. And we measure each other against this. We measure ourselves against this. We live in a place where if it is to be, it is up to me. And make no mistake, we do this in our Christian faith too. We go, man, it's awesome that Jesus forgave me my sins and I'm so grateful. Now get to work. I better read the scripture enough. I better do enough from what it says. I better follow the right ways. And we put ourselves right back into a I I have to achieve from what God has done for me. I see this and hear this often in the life of the church and hear it with many friends and even the struggle in my own life. There was no time that was more evident to me. I was at a coffee shop and a young man who was just out of high school and was becoming passionate in his faith decided he was really going to go after reading the scripture. And we were talking about it, just telling me about things, and all I could hear from him was, man, I am not doing this well enough. I've got to try harder. I've got to do more. I can do this better. And the poor guy was exhausted. Because quite honestly, he couldn't and wouldn't. And we can't and don't. One of the dangers we have is this idea that we have to work at it. It's one of the things that keeps us from relying on God because we think we need to rely on ourselves. You you know, we we say that we rely on God, but, and and Jesus makes this crazy statement. He tells his disciples when he's talking about being dependent on him that apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you do something apart from God? And the answer is you can. I don't mean it in a, a bad way. What I mean is we do things all the time apart from God. And it isn't really saying you can't do anything. He's saying what you do doesn't accomplish what you think it does. It won't do what you think it will. In other words, for those of us who are self-reliant, self-disciplined, and just thinking if I work enough at it, Paul is saying to us that's still living in the flesh. That's the mind of the flesh, even in the spiritual. Now, there's another group of us who are impulsive, who struggle with self-discipline, and we love this because guess what? I can't do it anyway. If I don't get anything done, it's not my fault. God didn't change me. When are you going to help me, Jesus? That's how we kind of approach it. As if to say, because I can't change on my own, if God doesn't change me, it's not my deal. But we also, in that group, aren't learning to work towards and discover what the very mind of the Spirit is. You know, Peter is one of Jesus' big three and his 12 disciples that spends a lot of time with him. And I love Pete because he is a walking mess. Do you ever see somebody and you go? I'm so glad he's really messed up because it makes me have hope. And in fact, Jesus even changes his name from Simon to Peter. He says you're going to be a foundation, a rock. But then what follows is he's a mess. Up, he's down. He's up, he's down. He's a roller coaster of spiritual life. Roller coaster of life. You just never know what's going to happen with him. I'm awesome. I'm terrible. I'm awesome. I'm Satan. No, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. You know when it all changes? After the resurrection, Peter actually becomes who Jesus said he would. Not because Peter suddenly was disciplined, because Peter learned what it was to be dependent. And see, that gives me hope. Paul writes after he tells us that God works in us, he says, It's your job to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work harder at it, he's saying get and work at the very mindset of the Spirit that becomes dependent and relies. We can be in the flesh, even trying to be people in the spirit and of the spirit. Well, Paul continues to give understanding to this and describes more of this mess we live in when we live in the flesh. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. It's like, very much like getting on a treadmill and going nowhere. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And by the way, that's what the spirit brings, not what we bring. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You see, we may not think of ourselves as hostile to God, but when we say things like it's up to me and I have to do it and I have to work at it, we are hostile to God because we're taking his place. And somehow saying, I can do this on my own, in my own way, in my own life. Let let me illustrate it this way, and I want to come back to this idea of not pleasing God because we read this, and after what we talked last week about where there's no condemnation, it kind of can feel like, oh, God's displeased with us all the time. If I live in the flesh, I can't please him, so what am I going to do to please him? As if to say it's something that we do that pleases him. And make no mistake, most of us, Think of God as letting us in but being disappointed all the time. Kind of like he looks at us and goes, yeah, I forgave you, and yeah, I can look at you now, but man, step it up. I'm really disappointed all the time. And that's a complete lie. I want to be clear on that. And I want to show you what I think Paul means by this idea of not pleasing God in the flesh. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with bungee training, but it's a... a, process that people use where they literally attach themselves to a bungee cord and then they do things like running or moving ahead. And what does the bungee cord do? It keeps you and gives you friction and limits it. And as you do more of it, what do you get? You get stronger and faster because you're building up resistance, you're building up strength, you're building up stamina, which is all true. But what happens at the end of the day with a bungee cord? Pulls you back do you ever love it to take little kids and put them in those games they have with blow up games and they put them on the bungee thing and they run to you and then they, they come back and just go, Woo, come and get me, boom, back they go. Nope, none of you are sadists. You all just think it's sad, don't you? It's my getting my kids back for all the misery they put me through. Get on this cord and try to find me. Not really, I'm just kidding. But I think we see God that way. Like, come on, come towards me, keep working at it, and then we pull back and we can't get there. We keep getting it and we pull back. You know why Paul says it's impossible to please him in the flesh? Because the flesh is up to us, it's not because he's displeased. It's because it's not going to work. It's not made that way. The flesh condemns. In other words, you and I cannot do it. We have the bungee cord of our own sin nature, and we all have it. Every one of us. It's one of the saddest parts I see in and outside the church. We talk about how people are better than others. Well, they're a good person. Well, they're a good person. Well, they're, they're better than you are. This group is better than that group. That's the problem is we're not looking for who's the best or who's good. We're recognizing that we actually aren't. And there are good things in us, but not enough and never to compensate for the death that we're living into and causing through our sin. Paul's saying you can't please God because there's no way to do it on your own. You can't do it through your self-reliance, your self-discipline. You're getting better at what you do. You'll only get there through the Spirit. He continues, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Literally, it just says you are not in the flesh. They use the word realm to give greater understanding to the overview. You're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even through your, though your body is subject to death, Because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. In other words, our physical bodies still decay, but God, through what he has done, gives life. His spirit in us, this is the framework around us, is how we're changed, not by what we do, but by what he's done and what he's continuing to do, becoming dependent on him. John Wesley, we don't talk much about our, kind of our, movement, like we're not trying to be hyper-denominational, but we're grateful with each movement, how God moves and what he's done through each one. One of Wesley's big things was helping us understand how the spirit is transforming and working. And one of his statements he would make is that we often just simply forget about God. And he said it this way, we become practical atheists when he doesn't enter into our thoughts and our mindsets and our dependence and our way. In other words, you and I might espouse Christianity, but we live as if God isn't working and we have to. We get right back on the treadmill and go, but it's up to me, I've got to do this. And we don't realize life in the spirit is a life of complete dependence. We come to the end of ourselves and we go, God, I need you. You know that Paul tells us that our greatest strength is less than God's weakest weakness? And it's simply an image for us to understand, listen, whatever you bring, it just isn't going to do it. And the reality is we know it. The people I see that are the highest achieving are often the most unhappy and the most anxious and the most struggling. Or the other side, we become proud and the way we become proud is we go, look at me, I'm better than everybody else. (laughs) In case you don't know, that's the flesh. You somehow think you're a better grade. God made me, made me a little better model. Your model, eh, it's got some problems to it. You look at my model, he goes, he's not even tall enough to be impressive. You know, guess what? It's not how God sees it. It's not how God works. And Paul's telling us there is a different way that we live because of what Jesus has done. Life in the spirit, people in the spirit. And then he gives kind of this overview of what it looks like. Kind of an overview of the house, and we're going to get into more of this next week. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. I I want to scream, like, oh my goodness, The power of God lives in you. The very power that the Father used, that the Spirit brought to raise Jesus from the dead is inside of you. Come on. I'm sorry, but that's amazing. You may never win a race. You may never win an award. You may never win all sorts of contests, but guess what? The power of the very eternal present God is in you and that is a lot better than those races or those achievements by far. Come on. Like my hope is to awaken you to this. It's so counterintuitive because ultimately what we're learning, what Paul, I think, is saying is people of the Spirit are learning to rely on him fully dependent. In other words, we don't add to it and go, well, I'll need you when I can't get to this one or I'm going to use my skills here. It's literally going, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Have you ever been in a situation where you realize your best skill isn't enough I mean, it's a a crazy thing. I can tell you this as a leader and a pastor and just an organizational leader. I go, do you know what? When I think I can do this well, I'm in trouble. I'm at my best when I go, God, I don't know what to do and I need you. But that's the same posture I want to have when I look across the table to my wife and go, I don't know how to actually be loving and compassionate and surrendering unless God is in me and helps me and I don't know how to father that way and I don't know how to be a friend that way and I don't know how... like I need God every moment of every day and the sooner and the more we understand that the more we become reliant people of the spirit you want to know what it means to have a mind of the spirit it means that you learn to work out just how much you need God <laughs> that's the simple reality I love it because everywhere we go, we're taught how to do things better and do more of them. We're taught self-reliance all the time. And not bad skills that we're taught, but they're completely contradictory from people that go, God, without you, I got nothing to bring to the table. I need your power and your work to change me. Isn't that the opposite of what we would think it is? Let me, let me give you this final picture, and then I want to pray for us. John Ortberg tells a story of some friends of his that were out at a beach time. And like waves can be, there was a horrible undertow at this time. It tells a story. of a father, a son, several daughters. The mother was there, some cousins, extended family. The father and son were out together. The dad, as it is, happened to be an Olympic competitor and champion. The son got caught up in an undertow and began to get pulled under. And the father became quickly aware he was in trouble and needed to help and dove in to help. And guess what? He got caught up in it too. As strong as he was, he was suddenly realizing, I don't know how to get out of this. We're both in trouble and I don't know what to do. But everything in him wants to grab a hold of his son and pull them both back to shore because that's what he does in his own strength. And John tells further how the father began to ponder, knowing his wife and other children were on the shore, knowing family was around, thinking, We both are going to not make it, and they're going to be left with deep grief and pain. Along the way, a friend who was with them, a cousin, saw what was going on, knew enough actually, and the principles of what happens with an undertow and how you can't fight it, that he found a way out somewhere ahead of them. There was a bit of a sandbar. He got close enough, reached out his arm and said, just come to me. Just come to me. Come on, you can get to me. Just come to me. And what it was, was it was the opposite of where they wanted to go, because where they want to go is back to safety at the shore, but they had to be completely dependent and go, we're going to trust that if we get to you, we'll be okay. See, that's dependence. That's going, you know what, in the midst of life, we are living in an undertow we never can overcome. And the Lord just says "Just come to me. Come to me. You can't do this alone. Would you rely on me? Come to me. Great and small, in every moment of every day, come to me reach out to me, ask me to help you, rely on me. Because very simply, people of the Spirit are learning to rely on him fully dependent. I always love when someone says to me that's pursuing, questioning, having doubts, like, you Christians, you're just, it's like a crutch. Like, you need help. And I go, you are, it's more than a crutch. It's downright deep, every bone in my body dependence. This isn't a crutch, this is full on I need you and everything, and I'm good with that. That's what God's inviting us to. The frame is being built around the wonderful foundation, there's no condemnation in Christ, there's nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose, and the frame around it is, guess what, you and I are to become people that completely rely on him to transform and change and live differently because we can't do it on our own. And I simply want to invite you to respond to how the spirit might be leading you in that. Whether it's the first time, whether you've been around the church, whether you're new to the church and you're going, you know what? I can't do this alone. <laughs> you don't have to be around a long time. It's just simply going, Lord, I need you. Jesus, not only thank you for your forgiveness that you died to bring life to me out of condemnation, you actually died to give me life. That power that raised you from the dead, I can have it. Whoa. Come on. And for many of us, I wonder how many of us live more in the flesh than in the spirit. I'm a Christian, but you know what? I'm getting all these things done on my own. I'm going to do it my way. I'm doing the things I think I need to. And I sure hope God comes alongside and gets on board or joins me. And maybe there's a place for many of us today to go, I have not been reliant. And we let go of our skills and abilities. Maybe for some of us, it's the fact that we go, listen, I'm a hopeless wreck and I'll never change go, yeah, you're on your own. But God takes people that are a mess and brings transforming work. And working out your salvation is saying, I need you, and exploring how he actually can change you. I look and go, I, you know, I've, I've been a Christian a good part of my life, but I'm seeing the transforming work more and more the more I let go and the more I need and the more I ask and the more I seek. Like it's there, he's there. I've come to see more and more that it's my reluctance because of my own disbelief or my own need to make it go my own way. I just wonder what some of us, the Spirit, might be calling us to today. I want to pray for us with this in mind. Holy Spirit, I am asking you to speak. I'm asking you to awaken us and move in power. I am asking for those that don't follow that they would hear the very presence of you saying, You are free in Christ. And they would say, I can't do it alone. Forgive me, fill me, and lead me. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do that is reveal Jesus to them and lead them. I pray for those of us who've been self reliant, Lord, that we would begin to let go. We would increasingly let go. We would come to the end of our own resources and say, We need you. And may your spirit be present to us even in our strongest strength that we would rely in you instead of us. And Lord, in those places that we say, I can't change, I can't be moved, I'm not achieving, help us to work out our salvation that we would trust you to actually change us, that you'd give us a new name like Peter and a new way like your early followers, that we would walk in dependence on you in the power of you and transformed by you. God, continue to lead us as we respond and contemplate and seek you in your name. Amen.